Can you hear me if I speak like this? Yes. Yes. The ending of our first full day and night together. Checking how we are. when we're limited, you need it to be more sound. Oh no, oh no, okay. Sorry, I thought. Limited by the silence. So someone, you, you, uh, it's okay now, like that? As Jaya said this morning, it's really hard to get it, get it right. Uh, but we're doing the best we can. And just to reflect that this is a special opportunity in the midst of all the duties and responsibilities of our everyday life to retreat or the one of the words that the Buddha used was viveka to get perspective on we're not judging our ordinary life or saying this is the real thing, this is constructed, has a beginning and an end and the conditions are supporting us to have a time to pause. But it's giving us an opportunity to uh, deepen our relationship with how things are. And with the limitation of uh, uh, silence and uh, not many distractions. I mean, there's walking and sitting. Walking. Here comes sitting again. We do have some chanting and and qigong, but there's a... We've put ourselves into a limitation and so sometimes a day and a night it can seem really long as we've seemed to have journeyed through so many territories as we arrive and get used to our, our room. And leaving behind the familiar and being with uh, what perhaps is more unfamiliar And then meeting any 
undigested, what Jaya was calling momentum from our everyday life, undigested, exhaustion, that we didn't have time to process because there was so much to do, so much depending on, undigested, moods and emotions, undigested sense of getting on to the next thing, which sometimes we don't really notice till we pause. So sometimes things can seem to be getting worse. We go off to retreat to offer ourselves a treat and we run into kind of waves of uh, aversion and it's not right and it's too hot and it's too cold and I'm not quite sitting in the right place. It looks a little more... That side of the room looks a little more composed. (laughs) We even start doubting... (laughs) Why did I come on this one? <laughs> but it's, it's the, this met- opportunity to metabolize, to... Jaya used the word bless. Yes, what, what is touched with awareness is blessed, first of all, because it's illumined, it's, it's conscious. We're having the opportunity to see and experience our tendencies. <clears throat> Excuse me, kidding or sorrow, but not these tendencies. What about peace and gratitude? I'm on my Thanksgiving resentment retreat. But again, uh, Jaya gave some, uh, I wish I had taken notes, but she gave very good encouragement this morning about the snow globe. You know, just trying to get it right. You just stir up more. But we can allow things to settle. But that allowing to settle consciously is a metabolizing. It's a digestion. It's a deepening our capacity to be real rather than just wanting to kind of skip over, skip over the restlessness, skip over the uh, resentment, skip over the sleepiness. That's definitely, we should skip over that one. The exhaustion. But the Dharma doesn't work that way. Interestingly enough, a lot of the people who come on retreats are really good people. Trying to do the best we can. And, and, and who are 
all too aware of our faults and flaws. And so sometimes when we pause and, and everything is glaring at us, what our dear friend and colleague and teacher Ajahn Sajito would say, he would say, Kitty, you're eyeball to eyeball with your karma. <laughs> when we stop like this, and so it is easy though, sometimes people who are trying to do good, we can end up just judging ourselves. Noticing the flaws, noticing what could be better. Remembering that, how peaceful it was before and we're not there now. And that's endemic. It's endemic in our culture. Not everyone has it, but so many good beings have this almost pathological self-criticism. It's always noting. Lapse of mindfulness there. I can definitely see that in myself. I mean, you know, I'm leading a meditation retreat. I, I lost my meditation bag for several hours today. I mean, how's that for, for mindfulness? But I'm metabolizing some of my own exhaustion and I've seen that enough in myself to think, okay, this is, this is how it is. This is how it is. It finally appeared right where I left it. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that magic or is that magic? But this, this, this tendency to... It's so easy to get down on ourselves. And to think there's this, I've got to solve this, solve that, get rid of this, get rid of that. And, and though there's goodness in that, as we strive to do better and to accomplish and to be of service and do the things that we do, this, this pattern, pathological, endemic, judge, this inner tyrant, can rob us. rob us of our blessed essence, blessed abiding. It's not a trustworthy guide. Yes, it's good to have conscience, and yes, there are uh, beings in our world that seem not to have conscience, or they've lost touch with it. But I notice a lot of people in the meditation world have it, but then we just end up attacking ourselves, and it's a really important to just be grateful for that, that that's revealing itself. Opportunity to recognize that pattern. And to, to remember this, this samaditi, this beginning of the Eightfold Path of Awakening, beginning and the ending. Sama means full, balanced. Ditti means seeing, the way that we see. Just remembering that we're, that though this is called a path, because it's a training, it's very important to remember we're not actually going somewhere else. <laughs> 
we're learning more and more to to be fully here. The Buddha taught that this heart already is luminous. Its nature is luminous. Its nature is peaceful. But that we lose touch with that. We lose lose touch with our inherent ground. Our inherent luminosity. Our inherent peacefulness that is always here and now. The Buddha taught that this dharma, this true essence is sanditiko, it's always here and now. Akaliko, it's timeless. It's ehi pasiko. Ehi means calm, pasiko means see. That this ground of our being is always inviting us with open arms. But that we we don't recognize that because we then get hijacked. And one of the main hijackers is these, these views, these other views that are, you know, you're no good, you've got to get rid of this. Oh, God, can't you do better than that? that? How can you lead a meditation retreat, Kitty Sorrow? You lost your bag for how many hours was it? Right on your desk. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're 65, you should think of retiring. And it it can start putting us into a box and putting others into a box and thinking that generating the sense of lack here, desert here, problem here, and and we then make more effort to try to get to where it's right or get away from this. So trying to get somewhere else or trying to get away from what's here, we overlook the ever-present, ever-inviting luminosity of our being. This essential ground of presence, of awareness, of knowing. So encouraging us to recognize that tendency, recognize it, even though it's very convincing, to notice that it's a guest, it's something that's moving through. The events of our day appeared and then shifted. We can remember perhaps having breakfast. Then that appeared and dissolved. And the sitting and walking periods, maybe different moods that were very convincing for a while. And now the impressions of Evening Dharma talk, the light, the sounds, the feeling tones are peering, resonating, vibrating, swelling, subsiding. In what the Buddha called this papasrajitta, this, this luminosity of being. So when the Buddha woke up to this 
what do you call the amatta dhamma, the undying, peaceful ground where all things merge. He realized he didn't actually attain something. He recognized something that was already here. So this is important to remember. It's not that there's no effort in our practice, activity, what's called the path activity. But it's just useful to keep reminding ourselves. It's not that we're going somewhere else. That energy of always getting there is endless. That's why it's called samsara. Don't bother me, I'm getting there. It, it goes on forever. There's no completion. No true rest. So this retreat, this offering ourselves a retreat, this treat that Jaya was talking about, is we're honoring this moment because the responsibilities have been lessened. We've left aside our daily stuff for the sake of delving into the actuality of our experience. and honoring this moment that the ever-present, peaceful, true nature is here. Not that we have to crush something, get rid of something. That only when we misunderstand what's moving through the heart, that actually nothing that's moving through the heart can, can destroy the ground of being, It's just that we don't recognize it. And so when that self-criticism, aversion, desire, it's always taking us somewhere else, it's not that it's inherently evil. We just believe it as me. So we get identified. We get stuck on things. So the Buddha offered a training to to help us connect with the actuality of our experience, that which moves through the heart, so that we can know these dimensions of our being for what they are. And then in not being fooled, we can touch again, recognize again consciously this ever-present, peaceful, unmoving, totally trustworthy, ground, where all things merge. We began uh, today with the teachings around mindfulness of the body. The Buddha chose that. He recognized that as the the first foundation, as, as a really skillful way of staying present. Thoughts change so quickly. Thoughts can move from the future to the past in an instant get lost in stories. And he, he did this and I can't believe it. I mean, can you believe that he did that? I can't believe it. 
Yeah, you can't even tell the person there because you're, you're silent. And the story keeps recreating. And, and you know, if he did that, what's he going to do next? What will he do next? And we're in the past, and well, I remember what he did then. I mean, if he did that then, then what, what might he do next? And we're going to the past and the future. Lost. The body is always in present time. The resonance of the body, its earthiness, changes more slowly. It's always with us. This mindfulness of the body, the Buddha said, is, is, will carry you home. And when one opens our awareness to the body, we realize it's not really a thing. The the word body makes it sound like a thing. But actually, if we open to this so-called thing, it's, it's dynamic. It's continually being blessed as we breathe in, especially in this incredible pure-aired surroundings of spirit rock, we breathe in that vitalizing breath. And we breathe out what we don't need, that the trees can breathe in. And what the trees breathe out, we breathe in. We notice that this uh, body is as we were encouraged this morning in the instruction, is being supported by ground. And when one is being caught in a swirl of the future and the past and what might happen and not wanting that painful thing to happen again, if we then just lighten the intoxication, the enchantment with that worry, without chain of thought and just notice the ground, the pressure of the body being pulled by gravity, its stability. And to notice that that we're in a place that where there's a fresh air, that we have permission to breathe in anytime we want. Take a full breath and to breathe out and, and relax. And to, to notice that, just to recollect, we're with kindred spirits in a world that, yes, is fraught and has a lot of violence in it and a lot of killing and exploitation, but that we actually are in a, a sacred place. It's not, there's no guarantee nothing can happen to us, but just to reflect, ah, I'm in a place with kindred spirits and that we began. We began this time together by avowing not to harm, to try to live in a way that does not harm, that does not take life. We intended together to, 
to live in a way where we don't take what doesn't belong to us. We've been offered these lodgings, we've been offered this food, and that we can relax because we're, we're with beings who are committed to not uh, trying to harass each other. It's so beautiful to walk down to the dining hall or walk into the shrine room and not everybody's elbowing each other to get through. It's a very, it's beautiful. We can relax. Notice the, uh, the effect on consciousness that has. And especially if one has this tendency to, to beat oneself up or notice all the flaws of what could be better. I mean, that's, sure, that's good to get us to make more effort. But do we also notice uh, the good? You know, we, you know, I suspect nobody killed anybody today. I mean, it's funny, but it's also profound. We didn't even try not to harm an insect. And remember, the Buddha said that actually that's a gift, that when we do that, we're making a gift. So to just balance the way that we normally reflect on things with this idea that our, our day and night together, we made a gift to immeasurable beings. When one is practicing harmlessness, immeasurable beings are blessed. It's a fact. Trustworthiness, not harassing anybody. Because we were in silence today. Probably no one told a whopping lie or a, trying to, I suspect, I don't know, but I doubt if anybody robbed a bank today or just tried to cheat. And then making the effort to, rather than just seek a intoxicated high to try to cultivate the instrument of consciousness with these moments of mindfulness of the body, connecting so that we're not just enchanted in a haze by what moves through this luminous heart, but that in our moments of mindfulness we're actually bringing what moves through the heart into moments of cognition, moments of noticing, being with a step, and it dissolves as we're the next step. Being with a breath, then the mind wanders, or is caught up in chains, trains of thought or stories. But to, to uh, learn to rejoice when there's a moment of waking up, to really just think, ah, okay, what was that? And to just return. This returning. The Buddha gave some encouragement about how that happens. How do we return? 
It's usually a thought that helps us return. So even though thoughts can be tyrannical and sometimes we wish we could just cut our head off and kind of throw it over a cliff and be done with it. Golly, enough. That when thought has not been trained, it just judges and entangles and attacks everyone else and turns back and attacks us. And so when thoughts subside, yes, that can be very blissful, but uh, the Buddha said, no, 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 don't, don't let thought be an enemy. Get to know it. But moderate it. Shorter thought. A moderated thought that's directing us. He called it vitaka. Like the thought, what's happening now? It's a short thought. Just a few words. What's happening now? That thought ends. But notice that thought is an invitation. It directs the attention now. And especially when we're encouraging ourselves in this first day to resonate with, connect with the body now. That thought links us to now. And then there's a, a re, an opportunity for reception, what the Buddha called vichara. It's a receptive dimension of awareness that can connect with and feel out what's now. Oh, wow, I'm, I'm all stressed. My shoulders are up around my ears. My torso's twisted. I'm kind of leaning forward as I'm trying to get to the concentration I had a last time. But So what's happening now? We receive it, we notice that. So that awareness is feeling into and notices the tension in the shoulders, notices the leaning forward. And the blessing when we, again, lovely encouragement from Jaya about offering our attention. Then there's a blessing, we receive information. We receive what is actually there. That stressed shoulders, twisted torso, leaning forward. And then there can be the natural response, the, the adjustment, the relaxing. The remembering, ah, oh, the ground is holding me. I'm supported by Mother Earth. And I can lean to the left, lean to the right and find where it's just balanced. I can be upright but not rigid, not too far back, not too far forward. Then this body is aligned with the great earth body and we partake of the power of Mother Earth. We're, we're being supported by ground.
a thought that directs. Ordinary thoughts sometimes just can be used to think about things, decide things. But we can easily get lost, entangled. A special kind of thought that's really helpful in meditation and is even present in what's called the first jhana, the first profound level of stability and calm is associated with vitaka vichara. Vitaka, that means a thought is there. And then there's that receiving, feeling into and adjusting. So we don't need to resent those qualities. Those qualities help us connect to the moment. And in the mindfulness of the uh, breathing practices, mindfulness of the breathing, a thought can help us stay connected. Sometimes when we're breathing in, some people just use the very quiet thought, peacefully breathing in, peacefully breathing out. We're not controlling the breath. It's a thought that's whispering inside just to remind us to stay with what we're doing. So the thought's not trying to control. The thought is just a very quiet, subtle reminder to direct us here. That's why it's called a vitaka. It's like a pointer. It's a little pointer. Or just even breathing in, breathing out. In Thailand, uh, when uh, I was uh, trained to be a Buddhist monk, the, the common vitaka or thought that reminds us when we're sitting and walking is bhutto. A lot of masters, that was their, their main practice just to say the word Bhutto, B-U-D-D-H-O. It means Buddha, but not the historical Buddha back some thousand years ago, 2,500 some odd years ago. It's not talking about some other Buddha. Bhutto is talking about this Buddha here, this wakefulness. That there is... At the core of our being, that which is always awake, always listening, unmoving, luminous, peaceful. B-U-D, some people use it, a quiet Buddha on the in-breath. D-H-O-D-H-O, on the out-breath, Buddha-T-O. Then all other kind of thoughts can come. We don't have to destroy them, don't have to fight them, can notice them. But, we, but when we return, we can remember, ah, Buddha. So it's, the, it's just a hint. So this is allowing the mind, the thinking mind, to stay connected to the body. And it's received in awareness. Buddha, as we breathe in, as we breathe out. Or other people who are really stressed maybe use the phrase, let go. 
one can just be breathing and just a quiet breathing in and breathing out, just the quiet, let go, let go of trying to get somewhere else. But a thought doesn't have to be the enemy. Thought can be a friend. Sometimes meditators try too hard and we put too much emphasis on on, uh, like trying to force the mind. That's the vitaka, the directing part. Get back there. I've told you. Hurry up. But uh, yes, it's good to direct the mind, but when we put too much effort, there's just tension. And remember the Buddha taught directing the attention. He always taught it with vichara, with this receptive quality. So sometimes meditators uh, are, are too yang, too willful. They're directing, pushing the mind to go back, go back, but there's no bonding. There's deeper samadhi, deeper composure happens when the uh, awareness and the body-mind all come together. It's called ekagata. Eka means single. It means unified. It's not split anymore. And so if we're just pointing the mind with force and not being receptive, it's a bit like uh, our, our meditation becomes a bit like an ice pick. It's, 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 too, it's too narrow. So these phrases, this moderating thought is a pointer. Ajahn Sujito, uh, who I was just talking about, he describes that thought as a finger pointing, but the receptive part of the mind he calls, he says is like the palm that receives. So like when we say, how is it now that's pointing us? But then what is it that allows us to receive the body? Its sensations. To feel into the mood now. The feeling tones of pleasure and pain and the neutral areas. So then when the uh, mind wanders, we keep bringing it back. But encouraging the bringing back to be associated with reception. The other qualities that can uh, arise naturally as we as things settle and we get more calm, what the Buddha called piti or rapture, sukha, ease, ekagata, unification. Again, we, you know, rapture, we might have a memory of a really peaceful, full state. If we, you know, try to get there, try to force it, that usually doesn't end well. But one can practice the core of this quality is learning just to savor whatever is here. Again, it's connected to that receptivity. As we metabolize our exhaustion, as we metabolize our restlessness, as we're patient 
with the mind that's critical, the mind that's resentful, as we little by little bless those moments with the alchemy of presence, the alchemy of awareness, and are just interested in being here, receiving it, savoring it, rather than being so excited to get to the states that we want. Savor means to really just like taste, like right now this body. Whatever the feelings are in it, to the feeling tones in the, the face, in the head and the shoulders, even the ones that are painful, The attention can be directed and then as we breathe into those areas, notice those areas, we can relax, soften and receive them. So it creates a container. That kind, patient awareness, little by little, allows the energy to well up and bless. So in being with the breathing, we're we're not just being... The coarse breath, the coarse dimension of breath is air that just comes in and out. But that air carries a subtle vitality that stimulates the nerves and the nervous system. And so the subtle breath are the currents of energy that flow through the body, nourishing every cell and every organ. And so sometimes as we're uh, coming to our body and it has this accumulated exhaustion and tension, it's important just to take at least a few long breaths just to find our body, to bring in some prana, to bring in some fresh freshness, but just to quietly relax on that long out-breath and allow that subtle energy that comes with the, with the breath to bless the nerves, the cells, the channels in the body. And we can do that not only when we're sitting, but also when we're walking, or in our, uh, we notice that we're lost, we can take a few deliberate, quiet, long breaths, long out to again return. Here I am now. Savoring the moment and then also what the Buddha called sukha, relaxing. Yes, there's effort but we're learning to tune our efforts. And sometimes the effort is uh, uh, too much, you know, trying to get somewhere else. In this samadhi practice, we're actually learning how to also learn to allow ourselves to come together. We're checking, we're not on a highway, we're not in a situation where we have to defend ourselves. We have permission to to participate in the structure of this retreat in a way that's uh, uh, right for us. If we need to rest, we have permission to rest. So we have permission to make effort, but we have permission to relax into this moment.
sukkha. So remembering this view that it's not that we're getting somewhere else, but that we're learning to be interested in, savor, and relax with this moment. Well, Kitty Sorrow, if if this true timeless nature is always here and now, then why do we have to make all this effort? Why don't we just... Because we're uh, addicted to all these things that move through the heart and think that's me. And so it takes a certain amount of effort of being mindful to what we take to be me, the body and the feelings and the thoughts. And as we steady ourselves and get a certain capacity to be relaxed and here and present, then that composure sees things the way they are. It'll see that the, that the uh, thoughts that come and go, they come and go. It'll see that the moods that are so compelling actually are there and then they're gone. Uh, the... the suffering of uh, not being able to, to find my back, where did I leave it? And then it, it appeared and that disappeared and it's gone now. And when our presence of mind can, can be strong enough when we realize the true changing nature of thoughts and sounds, we will naturally realize that there's nothing to, that we can truly claim and there's a process then of giving back giving back to nature what doesn't really belong to us. And that's the secret to waking up to this sacred abiding that's always here that we overlook. The word the Buddha used for it is patinisagai. It means we give back. That's why you hear so many teachers talk about letting go. So we're training ourselves to hold on enough to see the nature of things, but when we really see the ever-changing nature of things, we realize there's nothing you can truly claim. And then there's a natural relaxing and giving back. And when we relax and truly give back, and in moments where we're not trying to get somewhere else, not trying to get rid of anything, in a true moment of not grasping and not rejecting, we can notice that ground, that luminous, ever-present place where all things merge. Every sound, every experience arises out of and dissolves into this ground. And that's why we like doing the chanting and the bowing. That's to remember that it's not that we're just getting somewhere else. The word namo means I return, I give back, I honor. This is just the mudra, these hands together. When we do chanting, you'll notice some of us doing this. And one doesn't have to do it. There's, nobody's taking notes and noticing who did and who didn't. And they get extra points. And the one that was most... We don't, we're not going to give a best meditator 
most improved meditator, um, worst meditator. But this mudra of the hands together is, is it's not a fist. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a honoring what's out and honoring what's in. It's a relinquishment of contending. And in the bowing, which we will, we will offer tomorrow um, uh, morning and the other mornings of this retreat, and you're welcome to participate if you wish. It's been uh, such a valuable part of uh, many of our uh, uh, spiritual lives, certainly our monastic life. It's huge. Every time you went into a room, you bowed. When you left a room, you bowed. In interactions with each other, you do, you know, on certain occasions you would bow. And sometimes it can just be a rite and a ritual, but the essence of it is so profound. What I love about bowing is you have to find your body. And then you have a, the thought that I'm just remembering this ground, this refuge, this place that's always here and now that we forget. And to touch the head, which chops up the world into the good and the bad and the me and the you and the here and the there and the better and the worse and, and to touch this head to the ground. Or even if we have a headache and our body can't do it, we just, we just nod. But to touch to the ground and, and, and relax and for a moment to give back and you're supported by earth, you're supported by ground and more profoundly when we relax, we rest into that ground of listening. There's a part of us that even if you say, I quit meditating, I've had enough one day, I'm not going to go for ten. I quit. Okay? Quit. But you're still awake. <coughs> that wakefulness. It's useful. Sometimes we try too hard in meditation, so it's sometimes useful to just say, I quit. And, and notice that even when you quit, there's a part of us that automatically, its nature is just to notice. And it's useful to touch into that part of us that is aware, that really gentle, ever-present. So when one bows, turns over, touches into that inner place of listening. We'll be bowing to Namo Kwan Shi the great compassionate one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. That the source of all wisdom and compassion comes out of this deep listening that is our essence. We bow to that. We'll be doing a form in the morning where uh, a CD that Tanisha and I made with... Uh, my brother and his wife some some years ago uh, using a Chinese monastic uh, a melody of Kuan Yin, very high and low notes, so that our good moods, our bad moods, our deep stuff, our shallow stuff, everything, namo, everything we give back. Namo Kuan Chi Yin, we give it back to that which listens at ease. So we'll, we'll face the shrine, hold the mantra through one time, and then uh, one side of the room, 
I'll be on uh, this side tomorrow. So this half of the room will bow uh, with me while the other half of the room will bow. We'll, we'll keep chanting. So one side is bowing. Then when that round ends, that side of the room bows and the first side comes up. It's a very beautiful, gentle, slow, honoring the sacred name of the awakened one who's committed to all of us being awakened. Uh, The Buddha encouraged us to remember this great being committed to all of our awakening. And the name, her name reminds us that our uh, true nature is found in this deep, deep listening. So we'll bow for about 10 minutes and then when you hear a bell, the gong ring, the side that's bowing, will know that's the last bow and they'll, that bow will finish, then they'll come up and then the room will hold the bow uh, one more round together. So, yes, we're making effort, really good effort, uh, and to remember that our efforts, even if we feel like our day was a write-off, it was, uh, you know, God, I'm a meditation teacher and I lost my meditation bag. I even had a few notes for the uh, talk, which I I left, so I didn't even have that. Uh, But, you know, I didn't kill anybody today. I didn't rob a bank today. I didn't sexually harass anybody today. I didn't tell, as far as I know, any lies today. I didn't get stoned or drunk or high today. I... I... and I joined with this wonderful group of you all and these teachers, and we lived a day and a night in a way that was a gift in a troubled world to all those around us. And so that is really good. And I want to finish the day by remembering that our true nature is not through grasping, but it's through giving back through relaxing and touching in to that which has already been here all along, where all of us merge and where we join together with all the saints and sages. wishing that the blessings of our life, this gift of this day, be shared with all beings. Letting the sounds and intention of the ancient mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum, share these blessings in all directions. 
that all beings may be touched by our efforts here today. Om Mani Padme Hum, homage to that jewel, that shining luminous jewel at the heart of the lotus, at the heart of all the multiplicity of the conditions of life. There's this jewel of this luminous heart at the center of it all that we find right in the core of our own being. Oh, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.